0: So today I want to expand a little bit on uh, the work that I started yesterday, uh, starting my top 10 list. Um, it's kind of a goofy list, but I, I enjoy doing it, and um, it's going to be fun to tweak over the years to kind of track and see how it holds up and maybe where I'm wrong and where I could tweak it a little bit. But I've continued that, and again, for those of you that are uh, Patreon subscribers at any tier, meaning as little as a buck a month. Uh, you can see that I've uh, updated another spreadsheet. This one is top. Uh, I've got three positions on there now. Edge rusher, wide receiver, and linebacker. I don't know if I have actually 10 on any of them. because I, <laughs> I think I have 11 for wide receiver because I wanted Andy Isabella on the list and he would have been number 11 on the list. So I was like, well, I'm doing an extra one here. I'm doing 11. And again, what I'm trying to do is find a way to take... So I've got strength of schedule because I want to incorporate at least to a small degree um, the you know how good of a program they're in and how how good the competition is they're going up against. Well, that's called strength of schedule. So I take that, and then I take stats because production is also important. And then I also started taking the PFF grades because that's what you call quote unquote quote unquote tape. Now, it's it's only half and half tape, because as I was thinking about it, and I'd like to be able to add something else, but this will be for another time, because we are rapidly approaching the draft, and I don't have too much time to try to be perfect, because that's something that you work on over the course of years, not, hey, let's throw perfect together in three weeks. But it seems like PFF is sort of, I don't know, production-ish. It's people watching tape, but it's, it's grading based on kind of good or bad and it's more or less good or bad, I believe, based on did you do the job you're supposed to do, whereas watching tape is more about traits, right? Did you make the right decision? Not just was it the right outcome? Did you do what you were supposed to do? So it's it's a little bit more involved than that. But again, I my, my goal in this at first was to actually watch these guys, but it, that's such a hard thing because trying to quantify, and I want exact numbers as best as I can get exact numbers, and for me to go, eh, I don't know like a, that was like a C effort, so a C would be like a 70, 75, I just, that's, I can't do that, I I gotta work on quantifying what I'm seeing a little bit better than just kind of winging it, because stuff just didn't make sense, and I didn't, I didn't like feeling so, I don't know, man, I like stuff being concrete, I don't like just throwing random things on there, so that's what I got, I've got the quote-unquote tape, I've got the production, and I've got the, the program or the strength of schedule. And then I weight them differently based on how important it is, right? If, if you've got the grades for pass rushing and grades for run defense for an edge rusher, which one's more important? The pass rush. So I weighted it differently. So I multiplied it out differently, you know, whatever. So anyways, what that does is give an overall grade. And then I rank the top 10-ish prospects in each of those positions. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the other two positions. Again, I don't want to go super in-depth because it's just for the Patreon folks. And again, even if you don't like my system, it's a fantastic resource, and it's something I plan on using during the draft if I end up doing a live stream. Which, if things hold up, we will be doing a live stream, but you guys got to keep pushing that, pushing that button. You know what I'm talking about. iTunes is the button, just in case your mind wandered in a weird direction. But it's going to be a really good resource, because it does have strength of schedule to, to show you how good of a program it does have the stats it does have certain things that even though it's not exactly like the pff grade because i changed it kind of barely it's still going to kind of give you a an idea of what it is right you can you can sort the tables by the way because it's in a table on excel so if you just download the excel sheet you can sort it. if you want to know who is the highest pass rushing grade on pff just sort the table man it's not going to be the exact grade, but it doesn't matter because it's all proportional and it's still a ranking, so there you go. It's not like I'm trying to push anybody into my Patreon or anything like that. I wouldn't do that. I'm just saying it's a great resource and you can get it for a buck a month. I mean, I, I don't... I, I'm not i am not saying anything about anything ever, really. The point of this podcast is not to say stuff. It's uh, It's about something else. Anyways, speaking of iTunes... We are uh, off and running here. When I went to bed last night, and I think there's a review process, so I think it does take a little bit of time for iTunes to get these reviews through. But when I went to bed last night, I was like, well, I got one review, so we're making a little bit of progress. And then I woke up this morning and checked it, and there's seven additional reviews overnight. So thank you all so much. And again, if you want to be included in the PFF uh, giveaway, just let me know. I think we're up to three people now have, have given me their information, have told me that they have left a review. And again, once we cross that 200 review threshold, I'll be giving away a PFF subscription. But in the short term, we're trying to hurry up and get to, to, to 150 reviews because then I will be doing a live stream of the draft if and I can. I know it sounds flimsy, but I just I'm, I'm paranoid that something's going to come up. But as far as I know, there are no plans, talked it over with the wife, there are currently no plans, Um, almost positive I'm going to have one vacation day, (laughs) so I'll be using my one vacation day to take off Friday because I am not doing the draft on Thursday late, late, late at night, and then getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to do the podcast. I'm also not doing that and getting up at 5 to go to work, so I will be taking that day off of work so I think we're good there. Otherwise, be sure to get into the Facebook group. Link is in the description, I think. I say that all the time. I don't even know what's in the description. Yes, it is. I see it there. There it is. Also, be sure to check out NFLBigBoard.com. I'm going to work on getting an update uh, this week. I don't know if it's going to be today, tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, who knows, but I want to get that thing updated for the week. Otherwise, any questions, comments, stuff to get off your chest, Six zero eight five zero one zero seven one eight six zero eight five zero seven zero seven one eight. It's going for more of a baritone. Y'all know about that baritone. Been working on my craft. I think I nailed the baritone. I'm gonna move on to something else. Figure it out. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones. By putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so I want to start with linebacker here on my handy dandy list. And uh, as was the case uh, yesterday with Edge Rusher, some of the stuff was kind of wonky. Now, by the way, I did tweak the Edge Rusher just to kind of see what happens with some different stuff. I added coverage, I added uh, RAS relative athletic score and I also tweaked some of the grades so here's the new list not sure I like this a lot because of who's at number three but I'll keep playing with it right now I got Brian Burns way up probably too high up but we'll just, whatever right now it's Josh Allen then Brian Burns then Nick Bosa then Montez Sweat then Chase Winovich Cleveland Furl, Jalen Ferguson O'Shane Zimenez, and Zach Allen now the good thing about this is I'm trying to tweak it to make it best for the Packers and in reality this maybe isn't that horrible Josh Allen, then Brian Burns, then Nick Bosa. As freakish as Nick Bosa is, how good of a fit is he? I don't know. Do I think in actuality he'd be the third best out of the three? Probably not. But it makes a little bit more sense than Brian Burns being dead last on this list. So I think the the additions and and tweaks that I made were a little bit better. And again, these are all actual numbers. How I change the order has more or less to do with my multipliers right? How much emphasis do I want to put on strength of schedule, coverage, run stop, and what categories do I want to add? Just something else I'm uh, thinking about tweaking. But as far as like RAS, it's just, it's just what it is, right? Cleland Furl, if you want to know his RAS, it's... Re- well, actually, no, he doesn't have one. Let me try that again. Nick Bosa, 9.4, right? It's there. Again, it's a good resource. But anyways, looking at linebacker, the big sort of upset was the fact that Jermaine Pratt ended up number one on this list. Now, the crazy thing is, it's hard to tweak the list when you're the top of literally every category. Like, okay, I'm putting too much emphasis on tackling because he's too high in tackling. So let's bring that down a little. Well, it wouldn't matter because he's highest in just about every single category. So he's number one, and it's by a lot. Now, I also watched a lot of people while I was at the old gym on my handy-dandy television, um, television treadmill dealie. I uh, I watched three people. I like two of them a lot. Jermaine Pratt wasn't really one of them. He was fine, but I'm watching a guy that's on my list as the number one guy, and it's just there's just nothing there. Now, just kind of running through this real quick again. I don't want to get into specifics because that's just for people who have access to it. But strength of schedule isn't like edge rusher where you got people all over the board. Pretty much everybody. The the lowest grade on here was T.J. Edwards out of Wisconsin because Wisconsin was graded, or was uh, 45th on the strength of schedule ranking. That's not bad. It's a 7 out of 10. For reference, O'Shane Ziminez out of Old Dominion, uh, strength of schedule was 112 out of 130, which was a 2 uh, out of 10 on the strength of schedule scoring system. But pretty much, well, literally everybody else was 8s, 9s, and 10s. So that didn't really separate anybody out. Jermaine Pratt, NC State. 28th was an 8 out of 10 on the strength of schedule score. Jermaine Pratt, highest tackling efficiency, according to Pro Football Focus, by a mile. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Whenever there's not a decimal, because one is a whole number, I get thrown off. Tavon Coney over here was higher. But Jermaine Pratt was through the roof on this. So he had the second highest tackling efficiency, the highest run stop percentage, one of the highest pass rush grades of any of the linebackers. One of the highest run grades, one of only three to be given an elite run grade by Pro Football Focus, I think like the third highest relative athletic score behind only Devin White and Devin Bush. So yeah, he was, he was basically at the top of every single thing with the exception of coverage. Coverage, he wasn't great. But I mean, based on my criteria, I'm really going to have a hard time bringing him down. The other kind of upset was the fact that Devin Bush on this list right now is eighth. His tackling efficiency, according to Pro Football Focus, was pretty low. His run-stop percentage, which, say what you want about their... I mean, tackling efficiency and run-stop percentage are numbers. These aren't grades. So these are actual... This is data. These are things that actually happen. So you can hate PFF all you want, but this is real. He had a very low run-stop percentage. In fact, it was the second lowest of anybody. Mac Wilson was the only guy that had a lower run-stop percentage. As far as pass rush, he graded out pretty well. Actually, I think he was highest of anybody, but I don't put as nearly as big of an emphasis on pass rush as I do as a lot of this other stuff. Coverage is more important. Run stopping is more important. Uh, relative athletic score is probably similar. I don't remember exactly how I put it, but might even been more important. It was more important than strength of schedule. That might have been only the only one, though. Um, his run grade by PFF was not great. I forget that I can sort this. He was 8th in, in, uh, run his run grade. I'm sorry, seventh. I forget about that dumb top column there. And then he was third in, um, coverage, which is great. And then number one overall in relative athletic score. But you know, all these things combined being sort of at the bottom of the list in some pretty important categories, like stopping the run and tackling, I'm going to have a hard time putting you up there. So basically everybody that has him really high, it's 100% based on the tape, which is extremely important, right? It's intelligent decision-making um, athletic ability, that's what most people are seeing and putting them high up. I'm just saying, I'm looking at, again, strength of schedule, stats, and kind of tape. Grades, it's positive and negative play production, I guess. So those were the two biggest sort of surprises. And again, was not super, I mean, I, I don't mind Jermaine Pratt. I wouldn't be mad if we got him in the, you know, I don't know, third-ish round. I'm just not a huge fan. I mean, he's, he's, he's long and he's fast. He just gets bullied too much. He doesn't beat blocks. I just I don't know. Didn't get it, didn't care for it too much. Definitely in my mind would never I that you know, if you if you wanna ask me about disappointing picks, where would I be disappointed? Um probably Jermaine Pratt at thirty. <laughs> I would put the whole you know, I believe in goot thing out there, but it would still be I, I would just assume this is him looking for athleticism and I would just be disappointed. But otherwise, looking at this list, I have Jermaine Pratt number one, Devin White number two, Chase Hansen and TJ Edwards next on this list. I want to be able to check those guys out. Uh, Tavon Coney out of Notre Dame is fifth. Trey Lamar is next. Then Devin Bush. Then Bobby Okereke. Then Vosin Joseph. Then Mac Wilson is number 10 on the list. So I liked Mac Wilson, and I think I kept riding Mac Wilson because. I don't know, a long time ago I saw highlight videos and he hit people really hard, and I liked that, but I know there's not a lot of love out there for Mac Wilson, so bottom line is he was pretty low in most every category with the exception of strength of schedule because Alabama was ranked number one, in other words, facing the hardest teams, which I always thought was kind of weird because I feel like I could see Alabama being number two, but you would think another team would be number one, specifically a team that plays Alabama, but I suppose you can still make it, you know, there's so many teams the other teams that are playing alabama maybe don't play as hard teams outside of alabama i don't know whatever i found that odd but for mac wilson you look at uh tackling efficiency was you know fourth lowest run stop percentage was lowest of anybody pass rush grade was third lowest his his uh run grade by pro football focus was the lowest it was the only one that wasn't good right he was you know high average everybody else was good very good or elite he had the third lowest coverage grade and was fifth, so completely average in relative athletic score. So basically, strength of schedule is his only attribute that was solid. Relative athletic score is the only thing he was average. Everything else was right at the bottom. So there you go. There was that. And again, I watched Jermaine Pratt. That was my one uh, linebacker homework assignment, and I just wasn't super blown away. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it would feel like an Oren Burks kind of pick. I mean, I I, I didn't really see him do anything wrong in terms of mentally. And I definitely understand the tackling aspect of it. Because even though he's not a super, like, drive-through people kind of tackler, when he was in the area, the guy went down. I mean, he he just, he wrapped him up and brought him to the ground. He almost always went backwards, which I hate. But ultimately, you want a guy to make a tackle, and he always made a tackle. Kind of useless on the goal line when you're getting driven backwards or third and short. But, you know, he made the tackle. Um, as far as being in the right place on the field, again, not a scout, so I don't 100% know, but for the most part, you can kind of tell what people are doing or what they're supposed to be doing, what their assignments are. Seemed like he was in the right spot. But again, he, he's the linebacker, and this is the thing that I can't stand. When an offensive lineman gets his hands on him, he goes back three yards. First of all, I hate that. Beyond that, he doesn't have the ability to do anything other than run backwards another two yards to get around him. So he's got to go back five yards and run around the corner to try to get to the guy, which all that athleticism is great, except when you have to run 10 total yards in addition just to get out to the guy. Even if you make the tackle, had you been a better, stronger linebacker, you wouldn't have had to eat up so much space to get to the guy. I I just, I hate that so much. That was was Roquan Smith last year. It's like, I just, no, he just got bullied. I mean, I, I literally saw him get thrown to the ground and I just, I can't get excited about that. I know he's athletic. I know he's a good tackler. I'm sure he's a smart player. You know, he's probably decent in coverage, I guess. Actually, that was one thing he didn't grade out very well in. So I don't I don't know, man. I can't get into it. But again, Chase Hansen and TJ Edwards are also high on this list that I, I have not watched yet, so I want to be able to do that. If you're looking for a homework assignment, if you haven't done that yet, be sure to do that. Let me know what you think. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. Um, I also did wide receiver. Again, I'm going to be working on it. There's nothing here that I really hate, but also just because I don't... It's it's hard to really quantify who's better as far as wide receiver. I don't have a... It's not like Devin White and uh, Devin Bush, where it's like, well, these two have to be at the top, otherwise your rankings are garbage. Wide receiver, I'm willing to give myself a little bit more lee- leeway. The, the biggest reason I personally don't like it is because the guy that I like a lot, Hakeem Butler, dead last. And, and wide receiver's tough, because... It's hard to figure out which ones, which grading things to, to pick out. So I've got strength of schedule. I did put blocking in there, but I made it extremely small. It accounts for very little. I just, it was just an extra little something. It's more of just like a bonus than like an actual grade that's relevant. Like if you can do it, if you can man up and help in the run game, that's awesome. Or, you know, with screens. I mean, listen, wide receivers have to do this all the time. It's, it's There's a reason their blocking grade is on PFF as opposed to everything else anyway. Um... Yards after the catch per completion I put on there because I want yards after the catch on here. So they have a yards after the catch grade. Yards per completion I put on there just because it's sort of a, I don't know, a a deep threat kind of metric. I'm just trying to take different components that a wide receiver needs or or things that are important and trying to add it all in there. Um, Drop rate, got to have good hands. If you don't have good hands, that's a problem. Then, of course, receiving grade is one of the biggest things that I put on there. And then relative athletic score. I thought about slot, but I didn't want to give unnecessary bonuses to slot guys. I mean, I know we need a slot guy, so technically I could. Um, But some of these guys just don't have any experience in the slot, and it's just unnecessarily dropping them. So I just didn't feel the need to do that. Um, The only two guys, I, I have fillers put in, by the way, for if you see RAS with the red cells, that's me just putting in a filler because they haven't run yet. So they don't have a relative athletic score yet. So I just put in a number that I thought was kind of fair. Like Holly, Hollywood Brown, I put an 8.5 because I just have no idea. I know he's extremely fast, but he's also extremely small. Like Andy Isabella, who's really fast, had a very low relative athletic score, believe it or not. Because first of all, 40 time isn't it. there's just everything else included. But also when you're smaller, you're expected to do more. So it's kind of a problem. I kind of tend to think it's skewed toward bigger guys, actually, now that I think about it. Because when you factor in power, small guys don't usually have a lot of power and explosion. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't make that claim. It just seems like you need to have some, some more musculature, and the guys like Hollywood Brown and, and uh, Andy Isabella aren't going to have that real that, that, that leg power. Anyways, numero uno on this list, Mr. Hollywood Brown. Now, strength of schedule was all over the place on this. You got guys from all over the place, so this was kind of a cool metric to have and, and to reference. For example, Andy Isabella plays for UMass. UMass does not play very tough competition, and he ended up getting a 2 out of 10 on the strength of schedule score. Hollywood Brown playing for Oklahoma, Paris Campbell at Ohio State, uh, Riley Ridley at Georgia. These guys play a lot tougher competition than guys like Andy Isabella or guys like A.J. Brown out of Ole Miss. Blocking, again, not a huge factor, but just kind of giving you that big boy ranking. Uh, Debo Samuel, my guy Hakeem Butler, guys like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, understandably, A.J. Brown. Shockingly, D.K. Metcalf, pretty low. I suppose I could just give you the the top 10 ranking here, top 11 ranking first. So Hollywood Brown was number one. Paris Campbell was number two. Then A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Andy Isabella, Nikhil Harry, DK Metcalf. Yes, DK was number eight or whatever on the list. Kelvin Harmon, Riley Ridley, Hakeem Butler. So let's do it this way, because I don't want to go through everything for the reason I've stated seven times now. But why? Here's a question. Why was Hollywood Brown so high? Okay, let's take a look at it. First of all, does he go to a school that is playing really good competition? Yes, he does. Plays for Oklahoma. They were ninth on strength of schedule, which is a 10 out of 10. Shockingly, not the worst blocker in the world. Yards after the catch, number one. Yards per completion, number two. Drop rate—he was actually um, ninth on this list, so not very great. He got a five, five point seven five out of ten. It was under ten percent, which is nice. This is, by the way, what absolutely killed Hakeem Butler. Sixteen point seven was his drop rate. I don't exactly know what that metric means. I don't know if it's—I think it's a—it might be a percentage. That would be hard to believe that Hakeem Butler drops 16.7% of his passes, but if he does, huge red flag, and it's understandable why he would be up at the bottom of the list, but we'll get to Hakeem Butler because I want to look at that a little bit myself. Overall receiving grade, Hollywood Brown was fourth on the list, and then again, relative athletic score, I just threw something in there, 8.5, I felt was somewhat fair because he is extremely fast, and I feel like he's going to do kind of well, but I don't know. I'll, I'll update it as these guys run, if they run, if not, I'm not really sure what to do with that. Again, you can download... Well, actually, it won't change because I took all the formulas out. I suppose I could have left it in so you guys could play with it and tweak it however you want. I mean, you still can if you want to put in the time. It's still an Excel sheet. Just, you know, at the bottom of each grade, put a number. Then in the grade thing, just have a big, long formula that multiplies everything out and adds it up. And if you want it to be a pretty number out of 10, divide it by the total, multiply it by 10. Boom. Math, baby! So very, very closely behind Hollywood Brown. So Hollywood Brown got a score of 9.266, Paris Campbell 9.251. I, and my other homework assignment was Paris Campbell. I really, really like Paris Campbell. Again, I watched three guys, two of them I really liked. Um, and, and listen, it's not a matter of Paris Campbell's a freak, we need him in the first round. It's just really a matter of I feel if we get Paris Campbell wherever we get him you know i i don't know in terms of value 30 might be a little bit too early maybe not i don't know but i feel like if he ends up on our team i'm going to be happy because he will come in and be a very valuable football player i just don't doubt that at all i liked watching him play i I enjoyed watching the way he ran his routes he was smooth he was fast he had the uh, second highest relative athletic score of anybody outside of hakeem butler I mean, so, some of the times, and it just kind of depends the route he runs. I mean, he's, he's a very fast, wide receiver. He ran a 4-3-1, and it was very, very evident. It, it, the, the cool, I mean, it's just he, he's just a, a, a tool, and it was so fun to watch how they manipulated him. And the cool thing is, at Ohio State, he was double teamed everywhere. So a lot of times, you know, they would have him doing the whole thing where he's clearing out. In other words, he would run up and kind of run to the corner because he's pulling the safety and the corner over to the backside of the corner. You can tell he's not really putting that much effort into it. He's just trying to clear out a certain side so somebody can come in underneath. So that makes him a valuable tool to the offense. Draw the attention elsewhere. Now, we've already got guys that can kind of do that. We've got the speed guys that can pull people in certain directions. But Paris Campbell as a slot receiver, uh, man, it was so much fun. So some of the times you watch him and he just looks like he was shot out of a cannon. One of my favorite things is if you watch him in his game against Michigan, Michigan a lot of the time ran the kind of defense that I said, this is according to somebody that I had watched and listened to or whatever, and they they made a pretty strong case for it. But again, I keep referencing the, the kind of defenses that are good against what Matt LaFleur kind of runs, and that is running zone defenses. And if you think about sort of a general cover two defense, Sort of toward the middle of the, the, the defense, you've got kind of linebackers just sitting in their zone. Well, on on a particular play, and, and by the way, Paris Campbell just absolutely obliterated Michigan. But there was one play in particular where he just comes running across the middle and he crosses uh, Devin Bush's face. And this is almost impossible. Anytime you get a slot receiver with any bit of speed, it's so hard for a linebacker to go from a standstill position to a running to to just start sprinting in a certain position to stop, to grab somebody. And by the way, you can't just start running until you see the ball is coming out because you have a zone to to protect. So you get a guy like Paris Campbell coming across his face, quarterback hits him, and Devin Bush just gets launched. And, and Devin Bush is fast. He's a great athlete. But seeing him try to catch Paris Campbell and seeing him try to take an angle and Paris is able to not only just catch it and run and run at an angle, but to get all the way to the sideline and past him before Devin Bush can cut him off and run up the sideline. I think he got a touchdown on that play. That's just going to do. De- I mean, if you want to sit in the zone, he's just going to kill you. He's going to destroy you. And, and the fact of the matter is Aaron Rodgers is a obviously much better quarterback. Um, you know, clearly better than Dwayne Haskin. In fact, one of my least favorite days watching Dwayne Haskins, and I haven't done that a lot. Watched him a little bit, and I was like, oh, all right, he's fine. If you want to hate a quarterback, just watch a wide receiver. I watched Jay Sternberger a lot yesterday. The other guy that I really liked hated his quarterback <laughs> because it's like he's open. Throw the ball. But you you watch Paris Campbell, and he's just, he's just destroying people. He's just too fast. And I, I really think be- between Jay Sternberger and Paris Campbell, your best option is to play man. If you're playing zone and if the pa- let's just say the Packers get both of those guys. If your plan is to play zone, God speed my child. I just it's just not going to work, man. If you're playing man and that was the biggest thing especially with Jace. I mean, the, neither of them are are super big or and Jace isn't super fast. He looks fast and he can he can get out in front of the linebackers on just about every single play, but but a lot of the time it's it's when people get their hands on you and it's what makes Paris a better slot guy. And why i don't think paris would make a super great X receiver because when people can kind of get their hands on you and and slow you down and, and interrupt your route that's when things start to get a little wonky but you talk about a, a fast football player in in a rhythm in timing right if you if you're free to just run a route and they're playing zone and you just kind of slip between the linebackers and get behind them oh there are so many plays he's running around and toward the the you know the soft spot in you know 15 20 yards down the field. Wide open, and Haskins is looking for the guy in the flat. It's like I'm gonna strangle you right now. That was a touchdown for the fourth time now. I've seen that happen. Please pay attention to the best person on your team. But I really, really enjoyed him. Very, very often when when I'm watching somebody, I just I don't know if I just have higher expectations and I don't super get into it. Jay Sternberger and Paris Campbell very, very much liked and and enjoyed watching them. If you haven't watched or haven't watched in a while. I know I watched Paris Campbell at some point, so if you haven't seen him in a while, just go watch him a little bit. Go watch him against Michigan. Especially watch how, you know, not always, maybe it just depends on his route or what, but every once in a while, when he's he just launches out of his stance, it's like, oh my goodness, man. Literally looks like he was launched out of a cannon. he's so fast. And that's where, in, in sort of a quick rhythm thing, if, if you're looking to, again, the thing that I missed about Randall Cobb was that, that real quick slant route thing. I mean, if, if you want that, that playback where Aaron Rodgers takes his drop, you know, three-step drop, throws the ball, and it's a first down. Like, how in the world can you throw the ball that quickly in his 10 yards? Like, how do you even defend that? That's a Paris Campbell thing. Because by the time Aaron Rodgers gets to the end of his drop, he, he can he can easily run a slant route and be nine yards down the field and get another one or two yards before anyone brings him down. See, I, I like Jace a lot. I, I like Paris Campbell a lot. Jermaine Pratt, again, I don't know. Again, I feel like it's sort of an Oren Burks kind of situation where you're you're looking at the upside, you're looking at the athleticism, and because he's fast, everyone's gonna say he's great in coverage even though he's not. Oren Burks was kinda terrible in coverage even though everyone said he was really good and it's like I, I where? When? How? Kept hearing about Ooh, look how close he was, or or look at how he was stride for stride with him. Okay. Stride for stride, but behind him. That doesn't do anybody any good. I just wanna I just want an enforcer, man. I just want somebody in the middle Yeah, yes, you gotta be a little bit fast. Coverage is important, but I don't want anyone getting pushed around. That's why I like Devin White. 300-pound lineman comes up, and he just, com- it's like trying to smash into a Mack truck. He just doesn't go anywhere. Stops him in his tracks, sidesteps left or right, wherever it needs to be, and closes quickly and brings him down. Devin White is a monster. Devin Bush also is a very, very good linebacker, and it's evident. Those guys are enforcers. Anyways, we're talking wide receiver now. Um, some of the other anomalies I want to talk about: DK Metcalf. Why was he so low? Well, first of all, Ole Miss, uh, 62nd on the strength of schedule score, which is six out of 10. Uh, he and AJ Brown were the lowest on, or the second lowest after Andy Isabella. As I mentioned before, uh, blocking was shockingly low. Yards after the catch was nowhere near as good as it should be for a guy like DK Metcalf. First of all, with that kind of speed, I'm imagining you being behind defenses, right? Hollywood Brown with his speed is number one and for a reason. Paris Campbell is number two. Why? Because he has so much speed. These kinds of guys catch passes and just run an extra 15 yards, 20 yards, however, many, however much distance there is between you and the end zone because you're a deep threat. Now, DK Metcalf is fifth, so it's not the end of the world, but I would just expect better. Beyond that, the guy is 500 pounds of pure muscle. Hollywood Brown and Paris Campbell aren't that big. So even if you're not behind the defense, which you should be because you're freakishly fast... You should be able to steamroll people. A.J. Brown was better in yards after the catch, which shouldn't be the case, even though he's very good at it. He's catching a lot of his passes in the middle of the... He doesn't have a lot of room to go. You know, not all things are created equal. A.J. Brown being fourth on this list is really impressive, because usually he's catching it right in the face of a linebacker, or he's catching a little screen pass, and there's somebody just closing in on him within a couple yards of him, so... You know, again, fourth on the list isn't terrible, but I just would have thought that was better for DK Metcalf. I would have thought he was a yards-after-the-catch phenom. Now, yards per reception, or yards per completion, I guess the same difference, he was third on the list. Hakeem Butler, Hollywood Brown, then DK Metcalf. So he is a big yardage guy. He just doesn't do a huge amount after the catch, but he graded out pretty well there. But he was also second worst and the only other guy with 10 or higher uh, percent, I guess, drop rate that hurt him a lot. Apparently, and I haven't really seen it that much, but from the guys that watched literally every single one of his um, his drops throughout his entire senior season, or final season, DK Metcalf has a bit of a problem catching the football. And then finally, and, and this is just what it is, actually not finally, there's one more, obviously he does really well. He had the lowest receiving grade of anybody. Now it's still a good grade, 728 But it's the lowest. Pro Football Focus gave him the lowest receiving grade of anybody. Andy Isabella is the one guy that had an elite grade. He was the highest by kind of a lot. But uh, the Ole Miss guys didn't have as good a a receiving grade. Riley Ridley from Georgia and DK Metcalf were both in the good category. Everybody else was either very good or elite. And then there's uh, relative athletic score. DK Metcalf was actually third on that list behind Hakeem Butler and Paris Campbell. Obviously, he was freakish in some categories, but abysmal in others, which kind of hurt him. So overall, that's kind of what it is, right? He's, he's kind of mediocre across a lot of this. Receiving grade, which I think was the most important, he was dead last. Relative athletic score was pretty high, but not the highest. And then yards per reception was really high, but again, not quite the highest. So it just it just adds up, man. It just it adds up. And I'm going to keep tweaking it, but it is what it is. Um, somewhat surprising, but again, these are just numbers, man i not making this up. That was part of the reason why, I, again, I didn't want to, you know, put my own certain grades on players because it's too subjective. I wanted solid, concrete numbers, and that's what these are, with the exception of their grades. But their grades are somewhat based on production also. Right? It's pass-fail based on a play. Did you do a good thing or did you do a bad thing? That's all their grades are. So that's about it for the wide receivers. Obviously, there's a lot more there. Again, if you want to see some more in-depth kind of stuff, uh, again, it's just a table so you can resort these and see who's where and what, and you can do your own grades. You can just take this information and make your own thing if you want to, if you're that ambitious. But again, you got to get into Patreon in order to do that. It's only a buck a month. Um, but the guys that are on here, Hollywood Brown, Paris Campbell, A.J. Brown, Debo, Samuel, J.J. Arcega, Whiteside, Andy Isabella, Nikhil Harry, D.K. Metcalf, Kelvin Harmon, Riley Ridley, Hakeem Butler, I'm going to add all of the, the positions... Once I get through that, if there's time, I'm going to do one of two things, and I don't think I'm going to have time to do the one that I really want to do, which is to put my list together, which is entirely subjective, but I just want to see how it holds up against this, and then holds up against NFL Big Board, which is everybody else's opinions, and just kind of see where everybody stacks up. What I probably will do if there's more time is just add more people to these lists, but we'll see. I don't know, because there's a lot more positions, and the draft is rapidly approaching, but again, uh, be sure to get in there if you want to check this stuff out. Couple other little tidbits I want to get to. Uh, Matt Lafleur did an interview. This would have been a while ago at the inter- owners meeting, I'm assuming, but it was just released in podcast form by Adam Schefter. That's who it is. And he actually did an interview with him, Shanahan, and McVay. And two things kind of stood out to me. Uh, the one that I really, really liked, and you know, I don't know, maybe this stuff happens more often than I think, but it is, is actually a really cool story. He had asked Matt Lafleur, "Have you ever met with Rodgers prior to this?" And he said, "Yeah, there was one time when it happened." and um, apparently it was out, I think it, he said, in LA, and he started hearing people clamoring, ooh, there's Aaron Rodgers, there's Aaron Rodgers, so he messages Alex Van, I think it was Van Pelt, it was his old quarterback coach, I know Van Pelt was his old quarterback coach, right? I just, I don't remember specifically the story, but I, I believe that's who it was, that's who came to mind when I heard it anyways, but I, I guess Lafleur and Van Pelt or whoever were kind of friends, so he texts him, he's like, hey man, I think your quarterback just walked past me, he said, oh, that's funny because I'm standing next to him right now, so anyways, They got together, and the the cool part about this, first of all, Alex Van Pelt and Aaron Rodgers are extremely close. So LaFleur and Van Pelt and Aaron Rodgers and LaFleur's wife, I believe it was, all got together and hung out, he said, for like an hour or a couple hours, and he said they didn't talk much football, they just hung out, they got to know each other, they were drinking a couple beverages, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm blowing this up too much, but I really, really like that because it's so important for Rodgers to have that kind of a connection. And considering I don't know of anybody else that has that kind of connection with Aaron Rodgers than somebody like Van Pelt, the fact that LeFleur could get mixed in there, and that is Aaron Rodgers' only real action interaction with him is that kind of close, intimate, friendship kind of relationship right Aaron Rodgers how does he know LaFleur from that time when they hung out together and drank and laughed and had a good time and he got to meet his wife and they they hung out with Van Pelt who is one of his better friends at least as far as coaches go that's an awesome start and that's an awesome tidbit considering how unbelievably important that relationship is going to be moving forward in terms of the success of this team now that can all fall apart if LaFleur comes in and things you know don't go well whatever but I mean, I, I've I've been wanting that to be a thing for so long. And it turns out it's already a thing before he was even hired. I, I I'm assuming the Packers didn't know that when they hired him. Maybe when they talked to Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers maybe brought that up because I know he asked. They asked a lot of people, but the fact is, Aaron Rodgers and Lafleur have. And and again, maybe Aaron Rodgers does this kind of stuff like weekly, like coaches and other players and everything else. He's going out and him and Danica are hanging out with people. I I don't know what happens. But I really, really liked that story for that reason. Because, again, it's very important that they get along. And, you know, again, they're, they're similar age. I mean, it's not impossible that Rodgers and McCarthy could have hung out, but it would have been a different dynamic. This is a couple of 30-something-year-old guys just hanging out. So, I don't know. I, I, uh, I liked that. Um, another thing, obviously they asked McVeigh and uh, Shanahan about Lafleur and his ability to be a good coach, and they talked him up. I didn't put as much stock into those comments because, of course, they're going to say that, and and I believe that they believe it, but it also doesn't mean anything, so that's not important. One thing McVay McVay did say, though, that I thought was kind of cool, and I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something to this effect that one of the coaches had told him. Consistency is the best measure of quality. As soon as he said that, I thought back to the Green Bay Packers and said, ouch. (laughs) because consistency has always been the problem with the Green Bay Packers. Defense, even when we have good defenses, it's sporadic. It's good, and then it's bad, and then it's great, and then it's horrible. And then we get a lot of sacks, and then we get no sacks, and then we get a lot of pressure, and then we get no pressure, and then our run defense is great, and then we have the worst run defense in the NFL, and then our corners are great, and then our corners are terrible, and then we're getting interceptions, and then we get no interceptions. We're really good at running the ball and then we can't run the ball. And then we're really good at passing the ball and then we can't find a rhythm. And then we're great at scoring touchdowns and we can't seem to score any touchdowns. We're really good and then we're really bad. And then, you know, we're a great football team until we get into the playoffs. And then all of a sudden our offense can't do it or our defense can't do it or this can't do it. Da, 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 da. There's no consistency. And listen, I've been kind of saying that for a long time. It's part of the reason that I've been talking about why defense is so important because it kind of just stabilizes things. Right? If a team is able to rack up 45 points, your offense needs to kind of rack up 45 points, and it kind of creates this haywire situation. So I've always kind of felt it, but just hearing that quote and, and knowing that it's kind of a thing, at least in the football community, made me realize that McCarthy needed to go probably a while ago, because inconsistency has been a problem for a long time. And I mean, just look at the Patriots. You want to talk, I mean, consistency and success. And listen, toward the end of even last year when I was talking about teams that I thought were going to do well, one of the things I pointed out was consistency, which who are the teams that look solid right now? The teams that are volatile, sometimes good, sometimes bad. I ruled them out. I said they're not going to win. There's a big reason why I didn't like the Chiefs and the Rams so much because as great as they are, they're volatile and it's hard to be a volatile team and make it through the playoffs because you have to almost be perfect and I would rather take a team that is, rather than like a 10, if you're an 8.5, but you're always an 8.5, you're an 8.5 on offense, on defense, on special teams, in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, on week one, two, three, four, right? And it, nobody's that perfectly consistent, but I'll take an 8.5 that's consistent over a team that's a 10 on offense and a 6 on defense, and then they switch. And then they, you know, they're a 10 one week and a 4 the other week. and this You can't win that way. So, I mean, the, the good thing about it is it, it was one of the coaches that McVay came from, which means it was probably the exact same coach. I mean, it had to have been because uh, LaFleur and McVay were together. So so that kind of a philosophy, I think it might have been like Mike Shanahan or something, but that sort of philosophy of, of needing strong consistency. And listen, where else do you get a lot of consistency? Defense and the run game. As much as the offense is trying to get away from that, this, this high-flying offense stuff, this passing, that that's where a lot of the volatility comes from. Depending on the defense, you might rack up 45 points, you might go up against a better defense, and suddenly your offense can't move, and then you're just having a hard time because your entire offense is predicated on throwing the ball for 400 yards and seven touchdowns. That's where I think focusing on defense and just, again, what is what is Gutekunst doing? We're not getting D Ford, we're getting Zadarius Smith. Well... D. Ford is probably a better pass rusher, so he's viewed as a better player, but the, the guy is horrible against the run. Right? I mean, he's, he's a great pass rusher and basically nothing else. Zedarius so is just a monster, and he's a great, lo- I mean, again, well-rounded, great locker room guy, because you need that. You need it. That's the other aspect of this is attitude. If you got a bunch of guys that are just out there doing whatever, it's hard to get consistency. Attitude is very important. Again, locker room. I haven't referenced it in a while, so I'm allowed to say it again. A great, strong bond among teammates is important for having a consistent and successful team. Dance party agrees. What up, DJ Galaxy? Uh, got my back always. But a, a, a strong locker room, a, a strong run game to be able to control the, the, the game, control the clock, a strong defense that's not just, you know, on the important aspects like, oh, we get a lot of sacks. Okay, you get a lot of sacks. What happens when you don't get a lot of sacks? Does your defense crumble? Like, picks are super important. When we were looking back at some of the metrics that are, you know, kind of win-loss metrics, a lot of teams it was if you get two or more picks, you win. If you don't, you lose. Interceptions are a very, very important part of the game. But if you build a defense, sort of like Dom Capers did, based on sacks and picks, and the rest is just kind of, I don't know, just be crazy, we'll give up lots of yards and all this kind of crazy stuff. But hopefully we'll get a couple picks mixed in there, and then we'll win the game because we'll give the ball back to Rodgers and we'll score more points. That's just high volatility stuff, and I don't like that. Domination on every single play. Control. Getting guys that are good tacklers, that are good against the pass, that are good against the run, Darius Smith, that are good in the locker room. I want to see teams struggle to get first downs. That's what the Packers never seem to do, right? The whole bend-don't-break thing meant they were going to get a lot of yards, they were going to gas our defense, they were going to get a ton of first downs, but hopefully by the time they got down there, either we were going to pick the ball or we were going to tighten up down in the end and they were, they were going to kick a field goal. And usually that's going to work, especially when Aaron Rodgers and the offense are in their prime. They kick field goals, we get touchdowns, we win the game. But again, it's high volatility because what if it doesn't work a little bit, right? What if it? What if you don't get the picks? What if you don't tighten up down at the end? Uh, Think about the Atlanta Falcons game in the playoffs against the Packers. The bend-don't-break thing didn't work too well. They got touchdowns and touchdowns and touchdowns and touchdowns and touchdowns, and the Packers' offense couldn't keep up. Doesn't work. Tighten up. Don't worry about the pick six plays from now. Get them off the field. Tackle. Better tackling. Play faster. Play stronger. Play smarter. And again, I'll take... Decent play. That, that's, the, that's the good thing about, I think, Blake Martinez. He kind of embodies what I'm talking about. I know I'm not saying he's perfect or ideal or anything like that, although I do like Blake Martinez a lot. He's not ever going to be Luke Kuechly, but he's also not that guy that's just going to be garbage for an entire game. Like, dude, what is your problem today? Why can't you make a tackle? Why can't you do anything? Right, you see that all the time with certain corners. Like, oh, he, he looked really good last week. Maybe he's turning the corner, and then next week he just gets lit up. Or an edge rusher who doesn't get any sacks and doesn't get any pressures and ends up with his face in the dirt all the time and can't stop anybody coming around the corner. Again, I'll take a consistent 8 over a volatile 10 any day of the week. And I think a defense is better if you get a bunch of 8s that just play every week. I'll take that any day of the week over a bunch of 10s, which is part of the reason why I think if you had to choose between D. Ford or Preston and Zedarius, I think Preston and Zadarius was probably smarter. Because you're getting those sort of eights, but they're consistent, right? They don't have injury issues for the most part. They play every week. They're good locker room guys. They play strong. They play hard. They play fast. They play physical. So I really like that. I wanted to get to a question in the Facebook group about Taylor Rapp, but we, I, I have to wrap it up. <laughs> oh, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.